Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello and welcome back to the Believe in Man City podcast. I'm Viam and joining me is Andy Naylor, Brighton Hove Albion correspondent for The Athletic. Morning Andy, how are we? Good morning, I'm very well, thank you. Thanks for having me on. It's my pleasure. <laughs> what did you make of Brighton uh, last season? They finished ninth in the Premier League. What are their targets for the new campaign and how have they looked so far in pre-season? Well, last season ended up a, a record-breaking campaign for them. They, they broke multiple club records, um, highest finish, most points. I could go on and on. Uh, it wasn't necessarily going to be that way until the final day. They were 1-0 um, down at home to West Ham on the final yeah. day. I, th- I, think, I seem to remember they went into the last day, could finish anywhere between 14th and 9th. But they turned that around in the second half, one three one, and finished ninth. So that sets a pretty high bar. I never like reading too much into pre-season. I mean, as we speak so far, they opened up with a nil-nil draw at home to uh, Union Saint Gilois, uh, Belgian side at home. They then went to Portugal for a training camp, which finished with a four-one win against Estoril. And on Saturday, I saw them win 2-1 against championship side Reading away from home. They had pretty much full-strength team or nearabouts in the first half. Graham Potter ended up using 22 players again, which has been the case so far. And they looked good, albeit against a team that nearly went down from the championship last season. But uh, again, as we speak, they've got matches to come up home to Brentford another behind closed doors and they finish their preparations on Sunday at the Amex Stadium against Espanyol La Liga side before the very straightforward task on the opening day of winning at Old Trafford I don't think there'll be any problem at all (laughs) I'm sure that's a very ordinary task at this point given the state of things at Old Trafford now How's the uh, transfer window been at the Amex? Have they been quite engaged in the transfer market? They've let quite a few players leave on loans. Ives, uh, Bissouma's left for Spurs. Are they planning to make more signings in what is left of the transfer window? Well, probably externally, it looks like they've been very quiet. They signed a young lad called Simon Adringer, who's gone straight back out on loan to um, uh, Union saint Gilois, a yeah. um, versatile attacker. They've brought in an 18, a, a teenager from Paraguay, Julio Enciso, uh, another versatile attacking player. But the thing is with Brighton's recruitment, they really do plan ahead. So they're not necessarily dealing just with the window that's uh, currently can, going on. They were planning from previous windows. Um, so the example of that is in January, they signed Dennis Undaf forward from Union saint Gilois. Yeah. I mentioned them again. This is the Belgium club that... Brighton's co-owner uh, chairman Tony Bloom co-owned. So they signed him in January, loaned him back to Gilois uh, for the remainder of the campaign. So he is effectively a new signing, even though he came in January. The same applies to uh, Kaoru Matoma, Japanese international winger, can play left wing or left wing back. He was signed last summer, went straight on loan to Union for the season. So again, what really amounts to uh, uh, a new signing in terms of Graham Potter's Premier League squad. So, um, depending what happens in the rest of the window, you can never rule out further signings. Um, There's some uncertainty over the future of Neil Mopay. And, of course, 
Mark Cucurella. Yeah, I'm, going I'm sure, I'm sure So I wouldn't rule out more business, but they feel they're they're in a pretty good place because of the work they've done in previous windows. I mean, in terms of Basuma's, the potential for Basuma to leave, they really were addressing that from the January window prior when Moises Cachado was signed. Uh, and then they signed Enoch Wepu last summer, so that's two more midfielders who came in in, in in the last two windows. What are the club's expectations for the new season? Would it be another finish in the top 10 in the Prem, or will they be sort of looking on to push on further and make those 7th, 8th spaces? Well, th- they're building towards their long-term goal, which they spoke about really when Graham Potter was appointed. Yeah. Uh, in succession to Chris Hewton, so we're going back there to um, the 19, the 2019-20 season. Their yeah. long-term goal is to establish themselves as a top 10 club, which basically means not being one of those teams that start off every season worrying about relegation. They've they've not put any time frame on that at all, and they also recognise that within that, that doesn't mean finishing in the top 10 every season. Yeah. There could be seasons when that doesn't happen. It's such a competitive environment they're playing in with, let's bear in mind, one of the lower wage wage budgets yeah, as yeah. well. So, so, so they're up against it in that respect. That's their long-term aim. So in a sense, what happened last season, what happened eventually uh, with that win on the final day, really exceeded expectations to jump from what they had been in their previous four seasons in the Premier League, which was finishing in the bottom six, to ninth all of a sudden. So that that puts expectations at a, a pretty high level. It's going to be difficult to improve on on ninth. You know, that's not far yeah, off of course, yeah. what you might regard as as the as a as a ceiling for Brighton, because I don't think it's going to be realistic to expect them to finish in the top six. Not when you've got those big six clubs with the with their resources so they're not far off but there's plenty of potential within the squad yeah not just the new signings but also players like Mark Cucurella who was outstanding but have only had one season in the Premier League can only benefit from from that experience so I think there's a quiet confidence in what they can achieve but with no kind of bold predictions of of what they might do I think anywhere between kind of eight and 14th represent decent season even if in pure placing terms they go backwards a bit before we jump into mark cocorella and Manchester City, i just want to say make sure you read latest on the situation in andy's column for the athletic the link will be in the description when this episode does go out andy you told me when we first started chatting mark cocorella um, that was around the time when the 30 million stories came up from the city side you told me immediately to forget about those stories and because it would be twice that amount that has certainly proved to be the case Manchester City have made their first bid for the 24-year-old Spanish fullback, and what have you made of the amount that City have bid? Far too low, frankly. <laughs> um, they've obviously gone in. I, I guess that's part of the thinking. You go in with a low bid, but that low, and I do consider it low because because let's actually look at look at the circumstances here. Yes, Mark Cucurella is not an international, but we're talking about Spain. Yeah, you know, that's pretty fierce competition. Yeah, to get in to get into the Spanish team, and he did represent them in in the Olympics last summer when they were runners up, young under twenty threes. So so uh, the whole thing about him not being an international, I take with a bit of a pinch of salt because without being disrespectful, there are certain international teams. It's far harder to um, to get into than others. 
and also the fact that he's only had one season in the Premier League. I think anyone who saw Mark Cucurella regularly last season will know he looked like a Premier League player from the moment he made his debut at Brentford. That was the first game he played. They were a tricky game. They won it 1-0 very late on with a goal from Leandro Trossard. He just fitted in straight away. And what, what I find slightly puzzling, so I'm assuming that City regard Mark Cucurella as an improvement on Zinchenko. Otherwise, um, why are they yeah, after him? I think, yeah, I'd say that's, that's, why, that's why is Zinchenko the way gone? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why are they after him? Now, in that case, why are they bidding the same sum? They received for Zinchenko. That is so. You know, they're they're way they're they're miles away. From Are they Brighton absolutely Church. miles away? Yeah, uh, absolutely miles away. So let's see what happens from here. The other part of the equation with City that listen, you might be better placed. Certainly, people at the City end that I'm not sure about. Is he the left back they really really want, or is it a case of they might have maybe two three options at left back? And if they don't, if they if they don't want to go that far with Mark Cucurella, well then they'll just go for one of the others. I'd say from what I've read and from what's been reported from the city end is basically he's he's number one right. by a country mile. I mean there have been some whispers about other options if a deal can't be done for the price Man City are willing to offer. But it's safe to assume that he's probably the number one by far, given how little there's been said about other targets. Of course, they're all changing the coming weeks. Uh, I think it may be one that drags on for a bit, given how things are looking so far but I do think in the end there'll be some sort of agreement I'm not sure though I do think that'll happen Brighton held off for 50 million pounds uh, last summer when Arsenal came calling for Ben yeah. White are they looking to do the same this time around as well and is there a belief at the club that um, City will not actually end up meeting their valuation for Cucurella there's a doubt whether City will will get to their valuation and I think what anyone's got to think about looking in from the outside that City supporters perhaps should consider they might be looking at little old Brighton yeah. well they would be seriously underestimating the people in charge of the club i.e. the uh, owner the aforementioned owner chairman Tony Bloom who's a very skilled negotiator you know uh, actually a world class poker player bear that in mind is it? Oh, alright try considering that and also the chief executive, Paul Barber, yeah. who is essentially the person Tony Bloom trusts to run the club on his behalf on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, in terms of uh, pedigree, Paul Barber would certainly not be out of place at one of the top four clubs in the Premier League, if, if you look at his CV. So uh, that, I'm just trying there to give you a feel for the, for the people uh, City are dealing with. You know, they won't be bullied. There is no way that Tony Bloom and Paul Barber will be bullied into submission by Manchester City. Uh, in fact, and that's why I talk about that bid, I think because they saw it as pretty derisory, that that will make them even more determined. They will be even more stubborn to ensure that they get what they see as, as the right price for Mark Cucurella, if it comes to that. And if that isn't reached, he won't be going anywhere. Would Brighton be willing to lower their valuation understood to be in uh, the region of 50 million pounds I, I, I don't think so they, they won't budge they, they, we saw that with Ben White they did not budge Arsenal had to make I lost count of the number of bids before they actually got yeah. to the right figure as far as Brighton were concerned how many were there? I, I think from memory there were about five or six 
they will have to reach Brighton's valuation. It really is as, as simple as that. And just one other thing with the, um, I think we have to be a little bit careful about about the the kind of talk about oh he's unhappy and he's unsettled. Yeah. You know, and consider where that might be coming from because as as far as Brighton concerned, there's no evidence that they've seen of that from the player as things stand. I say as things stand, obviously situations can change. I think we have to bear in mind, you know, I know it's a different level of spending, but look what happened with the Harry Kane situation. Uh, look, look what happened with the player there and the things he, he was saying. And look how it ended up. He yeah. stayed at Tottenham and he's, ha he's had to get on with it. That That is that is kind of the nature of it. You know, Mark Cucurello's got a, a five-year contract very nice five-year contract when he signed four years left uh, we've already run a story earlier this month indicate that there might be an improvement on that not simply in response to City's interest but because he did so well last yeah. season Brighton have done that before they've, they've they rewarded their captain Lewis Dunk numerous times in succession for for his kind of um, outstanding seasons that's that's where we're at with it and I come back to the same thing. City need to reach Brighton's valuation. If they don't, I don't see it happening. Knowing Cocorella, and I think you've interviewed him before, haven't you? He seems to be a grounded, sort of nice bloke. Um, I'm not trying to ask you to speculate, but is there a belief at the club? And do, do the club think he'll probably push on for a move? He'll probably try to force a move through to City? Listen, I can't pretend to know Mark Cucurella well. Um, I'd be lying if I said that, uh, particularly through, you've got to bear in mind the situation we've had with COVID, which has really meant limited access to, to players. But I did have quite a lengthy sit down with him at the, at the back end of last season, speak to lots of people about him. And that's the way he comes across as a really, and certainly in the dressing room straight away, uh, his teammates said he's a really kind of upbeat, chirpy character. Yeah. That's his that's his natural persona. He talked very openly and honestly to me about how difficult it was at first, sort of settling down, uh, not speaking the language that way, young family. But he's certainly really hit the ground running at Brighton. Everyone, everyone loves him. That's a sort of uh, inside the club and the supporters and so on. He doesn't strike me as the type that will agitate for a move. But I, I, I can't say that that would. I can't say that wouldn't happen. But then I come back to the same thing and the situation that happened with Harry Kane. And let's face it, Harry Kane is a more profile, high-profile player than Mark Cucurella. Yeah. At the end of the day. Harry Kane is still a Tottenham player. He is. He is, absolutely. Uh, so, what's the end game here, Andy? What will happen next? Do you think City will come back with an improved offer in the coming days and weeks? Only, 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 only City know, know how far they're, they're willing to go. You would suspect they would come back with something better than £30 million at some point. But, who's to say? They've got to reach that figure. Mark Cucurella is still contracted to Brighton. I've written that they might sign a left back irrespective of whether Mark goes or not because because just to take things back Mark Cucurella solved a bit of a left back has been a little bit of an issue for Brighton in that they've had and they have now got lots of options as a left wing back um, players that they could use as a left wing back Solly March the aforementioned Matoma spring to mind even Leandro Trossard has, has played as wing back they haven't really got another option 
as an orthodox left back in a back four. And Graham Potter really likes to mix up his formations, positions, the system he uses. And that's part of the beauty of Mark because he performed so well last season as a left back, as a left wing back, and as a left sided central defender as well in a three. So you've got three players almost rolled into one with Mark, which I think is is part of the attraction with him as well. So um, so there's no doubt that he would be difficult to replace. And, you know, I think there's a reasonable chance that Brighton might sign a left-back regardless because we've also got to bear in mind if Mark Cucurella is still a Brighton player at the end of this transfer window, if his form continues, then we could find ourselves speaking about the same situation in January, in the next transfer window, next summer's transfer window. So it's it's always an ongoing process with Brighton in terms of planning ahead recruitment-wise. Could this uh, transfer saga be one that drags on for a while? I, sp- uh, I spoke to Jack Gorn of the Daily Mail uh, last week and he told me it could possibly be one that takes some time to get done if it does happen. Yeah, well, quite often a lot of business gets done right at the end of the window, but I come back to the same thing. In a sense, the narrative, how this play out, plays out, depends on City. Depend, depends on, on, on what they do in terms of uh, and bids and, and how big those bids are uh, comparative to Brighton's asking price. So if they reach Brighton's valuation, it will happen. It'll go, of course it'll go. And I totally get why people would say, you totally understand why he would want to join Manchester yeah, City. Yeah, of course, yeah. What, what, what player wouldn't? <laughs> um, but they've got to get there. And if they don't, I don't think it'll happen. Given how uh, well a selling club Brighton have proved to be over the past years and um, have City sort of played into Brighton's hands by selling Alexander Zinchenko too early to Arsenal given they didn't have a replacement lined up for him? Well, listen, I, I don't know. I can't speak for City's, City's uh, what their thinking is in terms of, if you like, tactically in terms of their negotiating yeah. stance. Um, I guess you know you could look at it another way and and think well they needed to 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 sort of have the Sinchenko situation clarified before they sort of made a move for Kukurela because let's be there were reports weeks and weeks ago that they were going to make a move for for Mark Kukurela and it's only sort of happened fairly recently. Yeah. But I just come back to those those comparative valuations. You know Sinchenko going for thirty million and. Assume that Mark Cucurella is an improvement, and they bid 30 million for him. Uh, I think that's pretty much everything, Andy. This was a quick little episode. Cheers for jumping on. Make sure to subscribe to the Believe Man City podcast, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B L E A V on YouTube.